just as many words and half the calories. Today we're talking about fans of light novels. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Phantopological, and welcome to Season 8. Uh, we now officially have more seasons than Game of Thrones. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And uh, I want to thank everyone uh, who's been on the ride for listening. And anyone new that's come in, maybe you saw us at MMA North at YetiCon. Welcome. Thank you for coming on board the Nick boat. Keep your arms and legs inside the boat at all times. And we're not responsible if you follow it. But thank you for coming with us on the journey. And hopefully Season 8 is going to be... Just as good or better than uh, what we've been delivering up till now. But today, we are talking about light novels, and here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. You can call me Kana because I am easy to read. I, I tried. I tried. <laughs> I tried. And Nixie? Right, I'm, I'm ready to see these holographic books. That is what we're talking about, right? Light oh, novels? Lord. Ooh, science. And... <laughs> Thankfully, also joining us, special guest on the podcast today, the author of the apocalyptic fiction series, The Bleeding Worlds, is a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated exclusively to light novels. We have Justice R. Stone. Justice, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's always great to have somebody who knows something about the thing that we're talking about. Uh, and I don't, <laughs> I, I don't just mean that because uh, it sounds good, but also because we love different fandoms, but uh, it's very different approaching something from the outside as it is from approaching something from the inside. Fair enough, fair enough. I find it's interesting when we have guests on, because we're like, why do you like that thing? Like, what? And people are like, oh, I hadn't thought about it, like, outside of the bubble, like Tyler for the Disney parks. He was like, "I've it's been so long since I've talked to people who are not also fans of this thing that I don't know how to communicate it properly. So, <laughs> so I find that super interesting. Well, hopefully we're going to have more moments like that on this episode to get everybody on the same page. I've collected some different facts. I hope they're facts. They're mostly truths, if not facts, uh, about light novels. And Justice, please correct me when I'm wrong, because I'm doing my best to do the research for this episode. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Facts. Okay. I collected a little bit of history and origins of light novels. Uh, for those who do not know, and you're watching this episode, light novels are short, approximately 50,000 words. Japanese novels primarily targeted at high school and middle school students, though not exclusively, which are often accompanied by manga or anime style illustrations. You might think that they're called light because they're made of holograms. No, you don't think that. Nobody thinks that. <laughs> But the light in the name actually comes from the lack or uh, lesser amount of harder-to-read kanji. Kanji being the Japanese writing system, which are ideograms as opposed to kana, which are the, I guess, phonetic sounds. So there's a lot of easier-to-read kanji, because there's like thousands of them. Yep, you're on the right track so far. Okay, good, good. <laughs> doing well. Okay. <laughs> okay, I thought that was interesting. Like, Z, I thought you might have found that particularly interesting, that it was, it's like kind of categorized by like the difficulty of language which past mm -hmm. elementary school we don't really grade books that way no no but i mean we don't have more than one alphabet that we're dealing with here in english so yeah it's not as big a, of a problem actually funny story there is Ooh, actually yeah. a series called my little sister can read kanji 
and it's a spoof because the whole idea is is that in the future light novels have become the form of classic literature and so (laughs) and so hard to read kanji have become virtually non-existent (laughs) and so the main character's sister the fact that she can read kanji is like a weird thing and shows just how eccentric she is in comparison to everybody else who lives in japan (laughs) i love it oh my goodness (laughs) so when you're talking about that whole thing you're absolutely right on even authors are giving sort of a little spoof to that kind of idea as well interesting okay it's paul mccartney saying we're making the classical music of today (laughs) right exactly (laughs) it's actually a really funny series it's very it's not a long one it even goes so far as like the prime minister of japan is a two-dimensional little moe girl and she's like digitally rendered (laughs) (laughs) so it's like hatsune miku or whatever like the virtual idol like basically is running the country amazing and like when they have competitions they have different like cute girls who are to be president <laughs> i could see that there's a <laughs> oh my goodness there's a line in like martian successor nadesco which dates me a lot the captain's like what am i even supposed to do like the ship runs itself and it's like oh up to this point in history captains were important but after this point they're just for looks and it's, she's just like it destroys her yeah oh, just reminds me of that. oh my goodness yeah yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I do have a little bit of history about light novels, which I was surprised by. Uh, light novels are sort of the evolution of pulp novels and magazines in Japan. Somewhere in the 1970s, many pulp magazines had started to move away from classic style covers towards more anime and manga style covers, which also included illustrations at the beginning of these stories. In the 1980s, and this is where it gets really interesting to me because this is where it starts to tie into anime and manga that I did not know were light novels. Mm-hmm. Novels like The Heroic Legend of Arslan and Record of Lodos War took a hold of audiences, as did Slayers and the Boogie Pop series in the mm. 1990s, uh, yeah. which I have in my notes. Note that these were turned into anime. Yes, thank you, me. <laughs> <laughs> and then interest in light novels really took off in the mid-2000s with the success of the Haruhi Suzumiya series. Yeah. Which I had only seen the anime and its quirky, out-of-order thing. Yes. Yep. My research was that's a light novel, that's a light novel, that's a light novel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Nope. You're on the money so far. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of on that topic, Justice. What would you say is the most surprising thing that you've discovered was a light novel, or alternatively, what is the most interesting light novel you've read? And you can't pick oh. the one with the 2D Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> um. Wow. That's that's an interesting question. You know what? I don't know that i was necessarily surprised by any of the light novel titles i mean i'd say the biggest problem with light novels is that it's a bit of a slippery slope in terms of what's a light novel and what's not a light novel like as an example i do a weekly countdown of the top 10 best-selling light novels in japan well oricon which is the sort of big website that tracks all these bestsellers and stuff in japan it has at least two different lists that have novels on them. One that it calls the light novel list, but on the other list, there are also books that all fans and even their publishers consider to be light novels. It's a very fractured business. Yeah. There's not really a hard and fast rule. Like pretty much most people say, what is a light novel? It's defined by who publishes it. Oh, like literally they are basically like these publishers if it's published by them it's a light novel okay 
because that's what they're known to be, right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because it's getting to be a very, like I said, it's it's a very fractured sort of thing. And because of the incredible popularity of light novels in Japan, they're expanding that whole thing to try and expand what will sell. So it's like, well, we've got this really great book. Hey, let's slap a manga cover on it and hire a really great artist to do a couple of illustrations. <laughs> we'll call it a light novel and publish it under our light novel banner. And boom, it's a light novel, <laughs> even though the author never meant for it to be a light novel. Oh, that's... <laughs> we did an episode like a month or two ago about um, Jose and a lot of that was talking about how, you know, it's like, is this Jose is the shonen or whatever, which is like, yeah. like male or, or young male or female oriented. And it's like, Oh, it really just depends who's published under. And it's like, well, this might do better if you put it under this banner. And it's like, okay, well, there you go. That it's that because we said it was that. Yeah. And, and that's really what you're starting to see more with light novels. In fact, now because as you said like the you go back and the audience this whole thing started really gaining steam in sort of the mid 90s right like when you have slayers owning the anime world at that time and then boogie pop comes out in 98 and by 2000 has over a million copies in print like basically at this point the publishers look at things and go well if we create a series with manga art and then can sell it and get it made into an anime we not only sell books, but we can sell figures, we can sell shirts, we can sell posters. Sure. And this is where all of a sudden there's this big glut of titles all of a sudden when you hit into the 2000s, right? It's actually 2004 is when light novel becomes a sort of public awareness term. Like up until that point, it was very much like a fan term mm -hmm. but then there's this magazine that comes out called kono light novel gasugoi which is this light novel is awesome it's literally what it <laughs> and they did a ranking of the top 10 best light novels and that's one of the first times that the term light novel was used publicly for the general public and that they kind of came out and said these books are light novels they're not just teen novels or you know <laughs> this kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. And of course, Haruhi Suzumi, that novel was one of the winners of Kono Light Novel Gasugoi. So yeah, like it's, it becomes a big thing. Now, my most surprising read, I'm going to look at my shelf. <laughs> I've probably read about over a hundred different, like at least one book from over a hundred series. So <laughs> yeah, I, I keep busy. Probably the most surprising one recently was there was one that was called Reborn as a Vending Machine, I Now Wander the Dungeon. Oh, man. Huh. What? <laughs> so basically, the story's about a guy who loves vending machines. He thinks okay. they're super awesome. All right. He travels the world in search of unique and interesting items to buy from mm -hmm. vending machines. One day, he's wandering along the streets. And he sees a truck getting in an accident and a beautiful vending machine flies off the back of it. And in a moment of lack of forethought, he thinks to himself, I must save this vending machine. And it <laughs> flattens him like a pancake. <laughs> <laughs> and then he finds himself reborn as a vending machine in a fantasy world where he has access to every item he has ever purchased from a vending machine. And he uses money to convert into energy so that he can continue to function because, of course, there's no electricity. 
<laughs> Whoa. And so the book is actually kind of weird because the book ends up being about this whole like item management aspect where he takes a look at, I can choose from thousands of items what's going to be popular in a fantasy world mm -hmm. with people who are dungeon hunters and dungeon dwellers and stuff like that. And you know what? I thought it would be the worst piece of garbage <laughs> that I ever read. And yet it actually had some charm. <laughs> I, I read it and I'm like, it, I'm, I'm going to read the second one. <laughs> Sounds incredible in the most bonkers way, but like, <laughs> Even before you finish the premise, like I would watch eight episodes on Netflix of a guy just finding interesting vending machines in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know what? I mean, hey, it's it's. Uh, I, I mean, Anthony Bourdain. I mean, he made a whole career of going and checking out these weird sort of like small little restaurants, like not going yeah. to the mainstream stuff, but mm -hmm. actually like you know street vendors and these small mom and pop shops. It, really, it's not that different. I mean, you know, it's, it's just some nice. dude traveling finding vending machines. Really? Yeah. I think, you know what? You should send it to Netflix, man. What is that? <laughs> I think you've got a winner. There might already be a YouTube channel out there. What is the name of that novel? <laughs> the novel is Reborn as a Vending Machine, I Now Wander the Dungeon. Okie dokie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Things to look up for later. Yep. Okay. Earlier you were mentioning that uh, light novels started to get really popular in around 2004. That's the point where... Like Kono Light Novel Gosugoi, the magazine right. comes out in 2004, and that's what really, I mean, I'm basing this on Rutgers' uh, Handbook to Japanese Literature. It's uh, one of the chapters is actually dedicated exclusively to light novels. Oh. And in the research in that, because there's not a lot of really academic writing on light novels that you can get if you only read English, unfortunately. Go figure, right? Uh, <laughs> but basically what he says is that around in 1990 they had bbs boards right so no your precursor to the open internet and there was a board where the guy who ran it he would subdivide all of these different genre books into categories and one of the things he came up against was books like record of lotus war slayers and stuff like that that he recognized had elements of fantasy or genre but were definitely not written for fantasy fans. Like, they had elements and terminology that seemed to be a lot more comfortable with people that were fans of other things, like video games and that kind of stuff. Mm. And as you said, like, in terms of the fact that they were a much more easy reading experience for a lot of fans as aside from, you know, your hardcore fantasy. The fact that they were shorter, that there was numerous volumes to tell the story as opposed to one massive tome or maybe just two or three books. And so he actually coined the term supposedly light novel to set these books in the BBS. And that's how the term eventually became sort of like a fan terminology. And then Kono Light Novel Gasugoi, when it comes out in 2004, is basically shoving that term out into the public domain where... Anybody and everybody can now see and go, oh, these kind of books? We're calling them light novels now? All right. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. You know, why not, right? And like I said, it's gotten murkier because initially, as you said, it was very much the realm of teens and, and that, you know, late teens. But you've got to figure these things now have been out for 20 years. You have fans who have been reading these books that are now... 
30s, 40 years of age, they're starting to write light novels and still call them light novels that are featuring older protagonists ah. and are being published in higher grade, more expensive books because they're trying to appeal and keep the readership of these older fans. Oh, interesting. So that's why I said, like, it's getting a little murky in terms of the whole fandom and who is it directed at and what is a light novel and what's not a light novel. Cause you know, you go back 10 years ago, you basically could have said, well, it's a light novel if the protagonist is younger than 20 years of age, <laughs> because almost every single light novel, that's what they were. Wow. But now you've got guys that are in their mid forties that are still light novels, right? It's a light novel. If it's printed on a six paper and <laughs> it fits in your pocket. No, no. <laughs> um, well, again, that's not even, that's not even true. Like they've now changed it. Like even, um, Kono light novel Gasugoi, when it first came out, it had one list of 10 books. In the last two years, they've now got two lists. One is the Bunko format, which is your easiest way to put it for us would be our mass market books. And then they have the Tonkobon list, which is what we would be like, you know, trade paperbacks or hardcovers. Okay. Because they realized that the people buying Bunko were not the same people buying Tonkobon because they're obviously a very different price range the publishers are aiming for those older audiences with the more expensive versions and so that's what they went with is they decided to divide the lists and have two do the two formats have a similar cycle to what they do here like it comes out in the bigger format first and then no a year later like, goes to the smaller or just no uh generally what you see is that if it's published in Tonkobon, it stays in Tonkobon. if it's Published in Bunko, it stays in Bunko. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, there's, again, like like everything, there's exceptions. I mean, even in our publishing world, there's exceptions to the rules. But, I mean, like Harry Potter got an adult version as well as a kid's <laughs> version, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, like, uh, you've probably heard the anime movie Your Name. It was yes. massive. It actually got published in several versions because they were aiming at different audiences. So they printed a much nicer Tonkobone version because they were like the people who have seen this movie that are older and have fallen in love with it. Let's give them a really nice edition to buy. Mm. But we're also going to print a Bunko version because there's kids that are going to want to be able to read it that are teenagers and stuff as well. So generally speaking, if a series comes out in one format, it stays in that format. But for certain special titles or whatever, you may see crossover just because they're trying to appeal to different income stratas and people who are willing to pay different prices for the story. Wow. Interesting. The reason that I brought 2004 up was just quickly that uh, we have a little source of data, Google Trends, and it happens to go back as far as 2004 and no further. So this makes me really curious to see how much things have changed because in 2004, uh, from today, it has had probably the most dramatic increase that i've ever seen it's just like a steady trend upwards until about 2015 and then it kind of flattens off but it's just like it just keeps going up right it's like something that was popular and just keeps being popular unsurprisingly top countries japan taiwan macau hong kong philippines south korea singapore vietnam malaysia and a surprise to me kazakhstan <laughs> interesting i don't know Good, good on you. Is it Kazakhstan? <laughs> I don't even know how you Kazakh. conjugate that. Kazakhstanians? I, I, I don't know. Kazakhstanis? Kazakhs? I don't know. Anyway. I'll research it, you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but like, 
uh, unsurprisingly, like a lot of countries uh, in like Far East Asia around Japan where light novels originate. Um, I looked it up. Canada's 22nd on that list and the United States 26th. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, and like interest way, way, way down below uh, those other countries. <laughs> oh, yeah. In terms of the Western market, we've kind of had three waves of light novel attempts in our market. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of things here, but we've had sort of three waves. So the first one was starting around 2005, 2006, a company called Tokyo Pop started bringing out, and they actually hit right out of the gates with Slayers, Full Metal Panic. Like, they, they brought out a lot of those titles that were heavy sources of popular anime come like mid to late 90s and early to really early 2000s and even you have seven seas bringing out boogie pop but seven seas only did a couple volumes of boogie pop and tokyo pop actually went kaboom around 2008 and left pretty much every one of their series incomplete and some of them it was brutal like they only put out one volume of some of them Others, they only had to print two more volumes and they would have completed the series. <laughs> and they never did. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So you have that sort of as the first wave. Then the second wave was very small, starting around 2007, 2008, with um, Hashit Books, who is the parent company of Yen Press. Yen Press putting out a lot of manga at that time. They brought over like Haruhi Suzumiya, Book Girl, uh, Spice and Wolf. All the, like maybe four or five titles that, again, if you look on Kono Light Novel Gasugoi, they were all either winners or placed very high in the ranking of Kono Light Novel Gasugoi. But what they did was they actually released those books under different banners. So some were released under the Yen Press banner along with their manga. Um, some were released under Little Brown and Company, which was Hashit's sort of kids banner. Yeah. Um, they actually put Haruhi Suzumiya under Little Brown. Oh. And initially, they redid all the covers. So they eliminated the manga artwork and tried to publish them with more North Americanized kind of covers. So like <laughs> so like Haruhi Suzumiya, instead of having the manga characters on it, it's a solid color with the silhouettes on it and then just the titles. Spice and Wolf, they... I don't, Spice and Wolf, I don't know what the heck they were smoking when they decided to do this, <laughs> but... But instead of just using the manga art, they tried to, like, do this painterly kind of cover. It's still a bloody wolf girl, so I don't understand why. <laughs> you know, but but again, like, they, they tried this. The titles did well enough that they kept getting published. So we have that wave that kind of continued. And then we have 2014, the release of this tiny little title called Sword Art Online. And that changes pretty much everything. At that point, Yen Press is like, okay, we're going to dedicate enough to light novels that we're going to create a dedicated imprint called Yen On. And so they moved everything over there to that. They released Sword Art Online under Yen On. And they've basically, what I just re actually just read an article, and they said that in the time from 2014... To now, they've had about a thousand percent increase in the number of titles they've printed. Wow. Yeah. So, like, for instance, I, I think I did in 2014, I think there was something like 43 titles released all over that year. 
And then we have over 76 titles that have been released in just the first couple months of 2018. Wow. It's just exploded. Like, so 2014, we have Sword Art Online come out. Uh, the Devil is a Part-Timer. Yenon licenses a lot of stuff that either already has an anime or has an anime coming. Like, uh, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon? Uh, they picked no. that one up. Uh, um, no. <laughs> they picked what what's wrong uh i started reading the manga for that and i'm like this is gross <laughs> really <laughs> it's oh, like it's a, gr- uh, it's a great book series oh my uh, god the okay. novels are awesome i enjoyed the first series of the anime yeah uh, and actually I'll... the books are way better the books are actually yeah. better all right i'll be the cheese that stands alone on this one <laughs> no enough. no i watched i watched the first episode of the anime <laughs> and i walked out <laughs> i watched it anime north all right 50 oh, yeah? percent split it's cool yeah, it's yeah. fine uh, maybe yeah, i need to read the book though maybe no you know it, what so maybe it's because the book isn't quite as filled with bouncy lolly boobies maybe that's why it's a little easier to get into the books <laughs> it's definitely a factor in my getting up and leaving <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's that could be i think that's i i think that's one of the things about light novels that i find is that it it's a very different experience of course reading it compared to like watching the eventual yeah. anime like when you're reading something you're kind of like ooh, that's that's kind of naughty then you watch it in the anime, you're like, oh, that's dirty. Like, just... <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, when you add in those like voice actresses sounding like they're 10 years old, suddenly it's like, whoa, this is just wrong. <laughs> My imagination sometimes affords the characters more dignity than the anime does. There, see? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in any case, so Yenon focuses very much on titles that already have anime or are getting anime. Yenon actually ends up purchased, I believe they're now a majority stakeholder, by Kadokawa, uh, which is a huge publisher in Japan. You have companies like Vertical Inc., which start bringing out, uh, initially they start off with tie-in light novels. So, for instance, Attack on Titan, of course, started as a manga, then became an anime. Yeah. Well, they've done light novels that tie into the series. They're not adaptations. Ooh. Yeah, they did like a light novel series that was a prequel to the actual manga. And then they've done side light novel stories as well for Attack on Titan. They did the same thing for uh, Seraph of the End, if you're familiar with that manga and anime title at all. It's actually really interesting because the author of the manga is writing the light novels as well that are a prequel to the manga series. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've actually gotten the artist who does the artwork for the manga, he does the artwork for the light novels as well. So that series in particular is very tied in together because it's all the same guys that are doing it. And then, of course, then Vertical starts expanding and they start getting like the all the Nishio Ishin titles, so the Monogatari series, so Bake Monogatari and all those kind of things. So then there's got those, and then about a year and a half ago, we get this company called J-Novel Club that comes out. And J-Novel Club now is probably the largest publisher of light novels in English. Mm. They publish more titles, I think, than... Well, they're either as many or, or more titles than what Yenon does. And Yenon's probably the second one. It's those two that seem to be the neck and neck, so... Yeah, I mean, we've gotten to the point where I used to be able to buy... I think I bought four or five books... And that was all the light novels you could get in a month. And now there's 20 plus titles released on a monthly basis. And that's a slow month. 
Well, dang. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Like, you start pushing towards Christmas, and you're up to, like, 28, 30-plus titles that are being released in a single month. Wow. It's a very different market now than, like I said, I started my YouTube channel. Well, I started focusing my YouTube channel on light novels back in 2014. And now it's just, yeah. So three and a half, four years. And it's crazy how the market's changed. I just wanted to briefly add on to that. I collected a bunch of information like uh, from a fan survey on the light novel subreddit. Mm -hmm. It's got some interesting demographic information. I'm going to skip over that, but it will be in the show notes. (laughs) <laughs> okay the thing i find interesting you're like oh there's all these different titles coming out and of the people that responded to the survey which is uh over 1500 people yeah most of the folks do not buy licensed light novels like 76 percent of the respondents didn't do that so i'm like what yeah um huh. i think like that is probably one of the uh how would i say it is that maybe one of the more controversial or sticky points of the light novel fandom right now? I think the thing is, is that if, like, if you take a look at the manga market, of course, it's a lot older in North America in terms of manga getting translated. And I mean, it makes sense, right? There's a lot less text, so you're not paying translators half as much money. They're able to churn out a volume of manga in an eighth of the time that they can do a single volume of a light novel. And I think that even though you have a scanlation market of manga, the thing is, is that as a fan of manga, you could almost always count on pretty much any title that was popular being released as an official release. So even though like, yes, there's always going to be people that just read manga online, read scanlations. The majority of manga fans were like, well, if it's a big title, it's going to come out. So they didn't feel as much driven, I don't think. Again, part of this is my own speculation, just based on what I've seen and what I've talked to people. But I don't think that they were driven as as much to be like, I have to get online and find this because it's the only way I will ever be able to read this. Light novels, for the longest time, that's been the idea, is that, like I said, like, you know, you've got Tokyo Pop comes out, Goes boom, goes bust, never complete series. Even when you've got Hash It, they only bring out like four or five titles, and that's all they do for five, six, seven years. So for most people that knew what light novels were early on, the only way they could find them was to read them online. And so you had this fandom that was completely of the mindset that I am never going to have a company that's going to support my fandom. So it's up to us to get this stuff. It's up to us. If I want to read the big titles, the stuff, the only way to do it is either translate it myself or find someone who will translate it. And you have a lot of websites that just run rampant with this because nobody stopped them because there was nobody to stop them. Right. There was nobody to say, Hey, Don't do that because it's coming out officially, right? Yeah. And that has continued, even though now, as I said, like, there are more titles released on a monthly basis than I think any one person could hope to read. There's still so many titles that aren't out that so many fans are like, well, it's never going to come out, so I'm just going to go read the translation, right? And I can get it for free online. And Mm -hmm. this is why, like, for instance, J Novel Club, 
one of the things that they do is they only publish ebooks. And part of the reason they do it is because they can turn around an ebook. So prime example, they just announced a brand new license for a title that they're getting. They announced it. You can already read the first quarter of that book on their website now. Wow. And you can read it for free. And then if you become a member of their website, they do like a subscription service, like a Crunchyroll, basically. So like every week, a new chunk of the book comes out. But within a month and a half, I can go onto Amazon and I can buy that novel. Completely translated, edited, the whole nine yards. And they're going after a lot of series that only have three or four, maybe five volumes in print. So they're actually beating the fan translations <laughs> onto the web. And that's their whole goal. Wow. Nice. right is that they're trying to go after these titles that you know try and get them out and what's really funny is is that there's at least two titles they have that the majority of them were translated by fans already they actually hired the fan translator to translate nice. the episodes or like the volumes that hadn't been done yet oh awesome yeah cool. invaders of the rokujoma is the first one they did this with and so the guy had translated i think the first 21 volumes or something like i mean he'd done a crap ton of work. And so basically what they said is we'll buy your translations and then we'll pay you to keep translating from volume 21 or whatever you were up to. And so every month they're putting out a new volume of Roku Joma and they're just doing quick edits on it to make sure that it's cleaned up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then on their website, if you're a member, you can actually read the volumes onward from like 21 or whatever that he's now actively translating the newer volumes. So they've actually kind of, in that case, kind of married the community of the fan translations yeah. with the legal sort of side of things as well, right? <laughs> and basically they're saying, you know what, if you read this guy's fan translations all these years, here's a great way to support him. Go out and buy the books because he's getting paid to do this now. It's not something that he's just doing out of the kindness of his heart, <laughs> right? That's awesome. I was going to say it's similar to like, like Funimation simul dub where it's like out within like hours. Yeah. Whereas I, I was away from it from anime for a while. When I came back, everything was a lot different and everything was a lot closer to when it came out in Japan, but this is even better because it has people who were fan translating and now they're like in the official stream of things. Yeah. Actually the guy who started J novel club was a fan subber of anime many years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, that's kind of how he got his start as a translator and a fan. He used to do fan subs. And then he tried to launch a company like Crunchyroll years ago, but it just never really took off. Uh -huh. I guess he didn't have the backing. I don't know the full story of it off the top of my head. I just know it didn't end up going over. But because of all the inroads he had made trying to set that up and all the relationships he had created by trying to set that up, that's how he then got into J-Novel Club and translated those relationships over into this publishing company so it's really you know like that's the one thing about the light novel fandom in english right now is that it's it's very transitional as well like it's not a huge community and we're still having those growing pains of well why would i pay for it if i could get it for free but now you're having companies that are like, well, you can't get it for free because we've already bought the rights and we're putting it out before any fan could hope to translate it themselves. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it is a lot in change. Like you said, I mean, you know, we're all kind of the same age or 
I might even be a little older than some of you. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, I remember going to like Chinatown and picking up VHS tapes with, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like with like the fans subbing on it or or even before that. You want to talk about real Wild West of anime fandom. We would pick up the Cantonese bootlegs on VHS <laughs> and then download the scripts in English from the Internet so that, wow. so we could watch it and then sort of know what was going on. <laughs> Kids, so, you have no idea. Right? <laughs> you have not. That was a little before me. I remember getting a bunch of DVDs from, uh, from Chinatown. I think yep. the, uh, the VHSs were before my time. I did graduate to DVDs eventually. Uh, I remember that. That was awesome because, man, when it was VHS, it was like two, maybe three episodes of tape. Yeah. And then you get DVDs yeah. and you're like, holy crap, it's like six episodes. This is awesome. <laughs> that seems stupid now. I, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, I can sit down and binge an entire 12 episode season in a couple of hours, and my $9 a month, I can binge watch another 30 if I want. Like, yeah. Whereas before, I'm dropping 20 bucks a tape for maybe four episodes. Yeah. Like, I remember buying Neon Genesis Evangelion on VHS. 13 Ooh. VHS tapes, because back in those days, they would jack you and put only two episodes of tape. Ooh. Maybe three, just to even it out, eventually. <laughs> and it was like 35 to $40 a tape. <sighs> Like, I think that whole series cost me about 500 bucks to buy. Like, it was just... Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but the question is, did you end up buying it three times? Once on VHS, once for the Perfect Collection, and once for the Platinum Collection? What about no. the movie? <laughs> what about the movie? Oh, don't even talk about it. You know I... what? You know what? This is the perfect, perfect occasion. Well, let's just say that uh, by the time the Platinum Editions and everything came out, there was these things called Torrents. <laughs> and What's we'll leave torrent? it at that. <laughs> I'm feeling a torrent of emotions right now. Let's. Yes. I think this is the perfect moment to uh, transition to a different segment that we have: famous last words, which is where we or our guests asked a question for this week before we had done any of the research. Last week we had Erica talking about fans of Yuri, and she had asked this question, mostly directed to you, Justice, because I, I think it's hard for us to answer this question. Okay. Because we do not read a lot of light novels. And that question was, what do you think are the qualities of light novels as a genre that make them so interesting as a reader and reviewer of light novels? Hmm, that's a good one. First of all, I would say I like the pacing of them. They are a quick and easy read. And you know what? This ties a little bit into me as a person as well. Like, my day job is I dispatch ambulances. So take 911 calls and everything else. Mm -hmm. And in between calls, which doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes, I do keep a book on my desk to read. And something like a light novel is great because it's something that's fun for the most part. Some light novels can get a little heavy, but for the most part, a lot of them are just fun to read. They're something that I could put down and go back too quickly. It's not like, you know, a Stephen King where I'm going to have to reread the same page 18 <laughs> times because yeah. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> you know, they're fun to read. They're easy to read. I've always loved anime. So the fact that light novels are very episodic, where you have this very long ongoing series, that really appeals to me as well. Like I like seeing character journeys over long arcs and long periods. 
the fact that even how light novels are structured that just like say an anime and i mean a lot of anime now are based on light novels you have different arcs so even if you have this huge big story that the series as a total will tell you still have these sort of small arcs that break up the series so you always feel like you've kind of gotten somewhere in the story even though there's another 20 volumes to go (laughs) (laughs) and you know what there are quite a number of them that have fun characters interesting characters that particularly if you're into anime there's a lot of that appeal in terms of the way the characters are constructed the way the characters act yeah i mean i i think too that i just i really like that sort of and you you see it a lot in an anime as well i really like that sort of what i guess we would call urban fantasy that kind of idea of magic and weird things happening but happening in our worlds There's a lot of that in light novels. Obviously, there's also a lot of isekai, which is taking a person from our world and shoving them into, Mm -hmm. like, a say, a fantasy setting. And I like that as well because there's still that touchstone of your main character is still something you kind of relate to. Like, in a lot of cases, that main character is like an otaku, like a fan of anime, (laughs) a fan of video games. And so there's still that sort of touching stone that i can be like oh i know who this guy is oh crap that guy's me (laughs) 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 if i'd been taken to another world when i was like 18 years old that's totally who i would have been so i think there's that appeal too that i i just myself really enjoy those stories that incorporate elements of the actual real world but incorporate those elements of the fantastical and the mysterious and i just love stories that have a lot of layers to them and when you've got an author who's writing a series that's 20 volumes long you get so many different subplots and all this kind of stuff like as i said i I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to appeal to everybody in the world but for me as a reader that's what really appeals to me and i think too with light novels uh they're so very character based and so very dialogue based Uh, a lot of the action is driven by dialogue that's another thing that a lot of people use to sort of say this is like a style in the light novel genre Hmm. a lot of people and myself included become invested in certain characters and certain series and so that's another thing that kind of pulls you in and keeps you going with the series and i mean obviously anime fandom you see so much crossover i mean there's a reason people spend hundreds of dollars to dress up as a particular character at a con right there's Hmm. or there's a reason that they get that picture of that person tattooed on their arm or (laughs) they have their room plastered in posters and And light novels really key into that exact same idea, that exact same fandom and trying to build all those characters and and give you something to latch onto. And, and of course, you know, a lot of them have harems. So if you like cute girls, you pretty much can find every cute girl you can imagine (laughs) in most series. So, but yeah, like I said, it's, I think it's really driven towards who you are as a reader and, A lot of light novels, I like them too, because even though a lot of them can deal with similar sort of genres and stuff like that, I still feel that there's a lot of difference between each of the books, the the way they're written, the different, like, I mean, you can take 10 different isekai, but they're all different. I've read at least four or five that are all about people being stuck in a video game type world. And they're all different. Some of them are kind of meh. 
Some of them are incredibly interesting and compelling. One of my favorites is Overlord. Uh, if you're familiar with that, it's had two anime seasons. And it's it's an anti-hero, basically, is what the series is. Uh, the character is, he plays a VR MMO as a monster, as a villain. Hmm. And when the server gets shut down, he realizes that he's now become his character. Ooh. And that all the NPCs that populated his tomb have now become living creatures and they're now in a world that's similar to the game world but not exactly and it's all about sort of how he's taking over the world bit by bit <laughs> cool sounds like an episode of black mirror yeah uh, it could be i i did not actually watch all of black mirror i i only saw the pig episode and that was pretty much the end of my watching black mirror i mean i don't think it's an episode that exists it just sounds like like a technology gone awry sort of yes. story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's, but there's lots of that kind of thing. And that's what I mean when I say a lot of light novels very much key into other fandoms, right? Because if you're a fan of gaming, there's so much that they talk to in terms of mechanics of like leveling up and, you know, gaming oh, yeah. levels and abilities and stuff that as a gamer, you're like, yeah, I, I, I understand that. You're speaking my <laughs> language, you know, like, you know, when you're talking about doing it for the loot. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah like find that op weapon and everything else like you know you just it like i said i i just really enjoy them they just really speak to me as a fan of games anime manga which like i said i mean so much manga and anime is now based on light novels that it's kind of a perpetuating cycle <laughs> all right g you had asked mine will be a lot faster Oh, there's going to be a few of these that are going to be a little bit faster. G, you <laughs> had right. asked, uh, and I, I don't know if I wrote this sound correctly, why light novels? Uh, why are they called light novels? I think we've definitely addressed the second half of that question. <laughs> well, yes. my, my question was just like, why light? Oh, I see. Is it because they're paperback? Is it because they're easy to read? Is it because, like, da 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 And I feel like we covered that in detail. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Z, you had asked, is there a magic ratio of pictures to text for it to be a light novel? I don't think there is any specific. However, you do usually find that the opening cover will, like when you first open it up, there's usually at least, let me see, one, two, three, four. There's usually about four color illustrations. Hmm. Or it may be like a pullout where you've got sort of one big long illustration on either side. So you usually have about four pages of color illustrations at the beginning of the book. And then you might have anywhere from... I'd say about six to eight black and white illustrations inside. Now, again, that's an average. Some will have more, yeah. some will have not. Like, for instance, Boogie Pop, if you go back to that one, what Boogie Pop did was is that every chapter, it had a black and white illustration that was like a face page for the new chapter. Okay. And that's what it did for like its internal illustrations. But yeah, there's not a, a set ratio. It's just on average, you find there's four color and then you usually have about six to eight interior black and white okay yep my research corroborates that <laughs> <laughs> almost exactly you're correct <laughs> right on Yay, the look at me <laughs> i'm just blowing through this uh i had asked and a uh, little bit incorrectly i guess why have why? they become so popular in north america which maybe i should have rephrased to have they become so popular in north america <laughs> <laughs> well again you know I think what you're seeing now is just that transition of fans who have wanted it, who now 
are getting it. Yeah. And I think too, and again, this is maybe a bit of speculation on my side, obviously, but I think because we've gone through now with things like Harry Potter and we've seen a lot more of that growth of reading for youth in the past 10, 15 years in North America that I think this age group right now, like, I mean, 90% of my viewers are between 18 and 35, Mm. right? And 90% of them are male. Mm. So I, I think at this point, that age group is good with reading books now. I, I don't know that you go back 10 years ago, maybe, you know, that 18 to 35-year-old market wasn't quite as primed to read a full-on novel at that point, because why would I when I can get the manga? Yeah. And I think, too, that in a lot of cases at that point, the manga was brought over because they figured it would sell better, So why would you read the novel if you could read the manga that's already been licensed, right? Yeah. Whereas now we're seeing this change where even if the manga is licensed, the manga is being released almost simultaneously with the light novels. Hmm. And I mean, the market's now matured to the point like even just these past four years. Now, I mean, I just same article I was reading, Yen Nan, they were talking to the guy who's the president of Yen Nan. He said... That in some cases, they're actually seeing the light novels outsell the manga versions of the same story. Really? Well, I think because it's starting to get to the point now where, and it's probably partly because of the changing anime market. You go back 10, 15 years ago. If you were making an anime, even if it was based on a light novel, you would at least make an effort to make the series feel like it was over. You know, like you would make it so that an anime fan could sit down, watch that series and feel like when it was done, they'd be like, I feel good. This is a story that is complete. Yeah. (sighs) Now what these companies are doing is they're like, the anime is an ad for the light novel. (laughs) Right. So that's why like you see so many series that are now ending on cliffhangers or they kind of end an arc, but you're sitting there scratching your head going, you know, there's this huge story that you haven't even finished telling me yet. You know, like ReZero was a really popular anime. They altered the ending a little bit to kind of give some closure to the anime, but the actual story was far, far from being told. And in fact, the publisher in Japan released the next volume that was after the anime, and their ad campaign for the upcoming release was, read the sequel to the popular anime. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wow. So I think that what you're finding now is is that fans are falling in love with the story. And because the publishers are intentionally leaving the story open so that go and read the book. Now that we're actually getting the books in English, that's what people are doing. Is they're like, I love the story. It probably never will get another season. So the only way for me to know what happens next is to read the book. Oh, jeez. Even when there's a manga adaptation... The manga often will cut things out or skip certain arcs or that kind of stuff. So even reading the manga isn't a way to get the whole story. So I think that's maybe why we're seeing this sort of shift in the last couple of years is because there's a shift in the way the anime are being produced. There's a shift in the way that the anime are being approached. A lot of the publishers now are putting their own money into these things 
knowing that the anime will probably lose money, but it will drive enough merchandise and enough light novel sales that it's worth it. Wow. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, last summer there was a series called Classroom of the Elite. And on my channel, when I was doing the top 10 countdown of the best-selling light novels in Japan, about two weeks into the anime, two or three weeks into the anime's run, four of the top 10 spots were taken up by volumes one, two, three, and then the most recent book. (laughs) And then it stayed like that for two weeks. And then the next week was volumes four, five, and six of that same series in the top 10 again. Right? So that series, because the anime was really popular, the light novel sales just went stupid. And every time a volume's come out since then, it sells 30 to 40,000 copies within its first like five days. Nice. And you have to think like, if that keeps up, that means that that single... 12 to 13 episodes of anime are now going to make that publisher, you know, what, 60, 70, $80,000, $100,000 every single time they put out a new volume. It was worth it to put a million bucks into that anime. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I, I think that's why you're seeing now that it's available. And now that there's that whole culture change, I think that's what it is, is that people are starting to get the fact that, Hey, I want to know how this story ends. I want to see these characters again. And the only way I can do that is to read the book. So I think that's why you're seeing that increase in popularity now. And like I said, it certainly doesn't hurt that we actually have publishers bringing those works out now. Whereas five, six years ago, there was nothing, right? Yeah. So you mentioned Harry Potter. You talked about how like people are accustomed to like reading as, as fans, especially people growing up with the the Harry Potter books and and a younger generation of fans. We've talked about Harry Potter in the past, and one of the interesting things about that is not only is it fans participating in terms of reading and consuming media, which is something that happens across many different fandoms, but that's also where you start to see a lot of transformative works in terms of like fan art, fanfic, fan costumes. What is that like in the, the light novel fandom? What are the kind of fan activities that people people do? Well, I, I think really it's it's all the exact same stuff that you're talking about. I mean, that that seems to be almost a common thread for any kind of, especially a long-running series that finds a fan base. Especially, I think, too, because since light novels have that visual component, it's not even like it's really up to your imagination to decide what Harry Potter looks like. I mean, of course, everybody knows now because of the movies, but... You know, when you first picked up Harry Potter, the book, before there were movies, like Harry was on the cover, but what did Hermione look like? What did Ron look like? What did Snape look like? What did Dumbledore look Mm -hmm. like? Like, you know, there were very differing opinions. Like, actually, at one point, if you look on the early Harry Potters, Dumbledore has a brown beard. That was the illustration. He looked like this thin guy that looked in his 30s. (laughs) Right? None of us see Dumbledore like that now, but, and I think they actually changed it in later printings but in any case light novels have that very visual component the same as manga the same as anime so for a fan to want to dress up as a character or for a fan to want to do a fan art of that character they can do so and other fans of that work immediately recognize that character because it's not like it's open to anybody's interpretation we already know what the character looks like Mm -hmm. yeah And because there's color pages in the opening books, 
you're not even interpreting what the color of that character's costume is or what the color of their hair is because you can look right there and you can see it. There's no argument to be had. It's <laughs> Exactly. It's it's a known commodity. It's a known fact. And, you know, of course, as I said, a lot of these light novels that get really popular are getting anime or getting manga. So all of the things you see in those fandoms, you're seeing the same things come out of light novels. The cosplay, the fan art, internet wars about which is the best girl and who's your waifu (laughs) you know why is the main character so bland and vanilla forget him let's (laughs) let's just talk about the girls because the girls are awesome it's really all this like really if you take a look at any fandom like anime or manga it's all the same thing because those markets have all blended in with each other (laughs) like light novels are still i think not as big a thing as a manga or an anime like you know there's light novel series that we have that have numerous volumes released in english officially that i'll go to anime north and not see a single person cosplay as because there's no anime of that light novel yet yeah (laughs) yet you know something like sword art online re-zero konosuba those ones i'll see a gazillion people cosplaying as because there's an anime So I think light novels right now are still very much of a mixed market. It's still very much fans of anime and manga that are also fans of light novels. I don't think that in the English market we're at the point where you have light novel fans who are only fans of the light novel. Yeah. It's more likely people are just fans of like the property. Yeah. Or the IP or whatever and are consuming all that there is of it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, having that anime that's that very strong visual element of it, I think it continues to fuel those more hardcore fan things like cosplay and spending 20 hours to create the ultimate piece of fan art and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, like definitely that whole visual component. And I think that's one of the things with light novels that I think was probably pretty brilliant on their part years ago was including that manga artwork and including the color artwork in particular because like i said very easy to create merchandise out of that very easy for fans to get into a certain character because there's also a visual component it's not just the words apart from the sense of finality um what do you get out of reading a light novel that you don't get out of watching anime or reading manga Hmm. well (laughs) I mean, it's pretty much the same thing that you get out of reading a book in North America instead of watching the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Usually you're getting additional character building, mm-hmm. particularly if the story is told in the first person. You're getting a lot more of the main character's inner monologue than what mm-hmm. you might get mm-hmm. in an anime. Ultimately, light novels, because they are kind of evolving from that whole pulp fiction type thing where it's like pump out a new book every four to six months, the author's are free to do a whole chapter on some kind of nonsense that is a lot of fun for you as a person who's invested in the character. But when they're translating it into an anime, they're like, we're not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on an episode where the character like picks his nose and then eats marshmallows. Yeah. Or something. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm not saying that's happened in a light novel. I'm just saying like, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, for instance, I just, I just finished reading the latest Monogatari book, uh, Kabuki Monogatari. And, like, for the first 70 pages, the character is basically just having discussions with other people that 
don't really get into the meat of the actual book. Like Monogatari is famous for that. It's just on and on and on conversations. And to the anime's credit, for whatever reason, they actually did all of that stuff. I don't know why, but oh, wow. <laughs> but for the light novels, you're right. There's the finality part of it, actually getting to see the whole story. And I just think that because of the format, it's allowing the author to take a lot more time to build the characters, to make the characters more interesting. Like I said, um, you know, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon? The anime is not bad, but I mean, it's 13 episodes long and compresses five books into only 13 episodes. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff cut out of that that is character building. There's a lot of stuff that cut out of that that actually makes you care about who these characters are. And a lot of world building gets cut out of that. And they do a shortcut where basically, well, you can see the world, so that's it. You don't need for me to explain why things work the way they do or, you know, what's unique and interesting about the world because, man, eh, you can just see the magic floating around, so we're good. Let's move on. Hmm. So overall, like, it really, for fans particularly of a property, let's say you've watched the anime, the big selling point of the light novels is, is that you are getting more of everything that you may have liked in the anime. You're getting more of the characters. You're getting more of the story. And you're actually going to get to see how the story ends. It's a very satisfying component. <laughs> I know, right? Funny thing about that. Who wants to know how it ends? Look at you, Spiral. <laughs> oh my, I forgot about Spiral. Sorry, I brought it up. Does Spiral have a light novel? <laughs> Spiral? Um, now, I want to make sure that I'm thinking of the same thing. Are you talking about like the Ring Cycle novels or which one are you talking about? No, there was an anime series called Spiral, which oh. was about this kid and he was trying to figure out something about his father, but there were all these jerks that kept showing up. The and he had Blade to solve Children. The Blade oh. Children, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not familiar with that series at all. I was going to say the actual like Ring, the Ring books, the second volume was called Spiral. That's why oh, okay. it immediately uh, popped yeah. into my head. <laughs> also, not referring to Uzumaki by, uh, I think it's Jun Junto Junji Ito, which is creepy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yes. No, no. Yeah, no, not that. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> ah, here we go. Spiral the Bonds of Reasoning. That is what oh, it's called. Okay. I'll look it up. I think it was a manga. It doesn't ring a bell light novel-wise, but again, I, I mean... Because there's so many official titles, and that's what I focus on, there's still titles that are out in Japan that I don't know about. All I can confirm about Spiral is is the anime is uh, crushingly disappointing at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, we reached the end of the season, so okay, so, that's it. Goodbye. We're right it's out all of up. So you do not get to hear how this ends. Oh, oh wow. Ooh, uh, okay. But not even a cliffhanger. And it's like, so who were the blade charming? And they're like, well, I guess we won't know. Goodbye forever. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Supremely unsatisfying. <laughs> the worst is when it's like an original anime series and they do that. And you're just like, dude, it was an original. Like you weren't even trying to adapt somebody else's work. You couldn't have figured this out. <laughs> oh, in terms of going backwards, is there no light novel of Kill the Kill? <laughs> Kill the Kill? No, there is not. That is an original. Okay. Yeah, because it started as anime, and then they made a manga. I was wondering if they also made a light novel. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Um, It's interesting, though. Like, you mentioned that, though. It's kind of weird that you see that sometimes. Like, the cycle's gotten all messed up. Like, it used to be light novel, then a manga, then an anime. But <laughs> now, because all those mediums are so popular, 
it doesn't really matter where you start. You'll probably end up with others. So like you start off with an anime, eh, we'll probably do a manga and yeah, we'll figure out like a side story to write as a light novel or it starts as a manga. Then we'll make the anime and then we'll have side stories in the light novels or we'll just have light novels retell the story. Like they actually, um, what's the volleyball one? Hakyo or what is it? Uh, yeah, Haikyuu yeah, yeah. or Haikyuu. Yeah, Haikyuu. There's actually a light novel series that retells the whole anime. Wow. And it is. It's just a retelling of the anime, but it's a light novel series. And you want to talk about a dedicated fan base, like it places in the top 10 bestsellers when their new volume comes out. <laughs> uh, good old Shonen. Just a little bit of trivia, just as you probably know this already. Oh, but yeah. uh, the other Knicks might not. What story that began as light light novel uh, was a Tom Cruise movie? Oh, I know this one. Uh, I'll let Z go. This is just for the Z. Day after the day after tomorrow. You're so oh, he knows. He knows. Yeah. The, oh, edge of tomorrow. Tomorrow. the edge of tomorrow. But, but do you know the Japanese title? I'm looking uh, at it right now, and it's one of the best Ash- titles Ash- I've ever seen. No. Well, actually, no. Like you can you can tell me the English version of the Japanese title. <laughs> oh. um... No, definitely don't know that. I was just going to transliterate. <laughs> All you need is kill. What? Yeah. I'm shocked yeah. they didn't call it that. I, they should have. I think <laughs> it would have done better business. Title. Yeah. The Edge of Tomorrow is such a wussy title, man. <laughs> All you need is kill. Come on. <laughs> totally would have been a better seller. And that was how they remarketed it, though, with like the DVD. Like They put The Edge of Tomorrow, like this tiny little type, but it was like... What like what was it? it was like live, live die repeat live die repeat yeah it looked like that was I'm like the they title. could have called it that yeah <laughs> that would have been a better title <laughs> tomorrow's kind of a, not a great title it sounds like a rom com like seriously the edge it of tomorrow ah! it sounds like a Nicholas Sparks book that's what it sounds like <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go that far but it is kind of a rom com <laughs> well I'll tell you something spoilers the a light novel does not end the same way that the movie does. Oh, man. Not even a little bit. <laughs> oh boy. Is okay, like talking about finality and, and endings and such in particular, is that kind of a trend with light novels that go on to be manga or anime or as has been happening lately, vice versa? Like are the light novels maybe because there's more space to fill edgier or sort of more extreme than their manga or anime counterparts? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, again, the, the thing is, is that because light novels now are being marketed to different age groups Mm -hmm. and because anime is being marketed to various age groups, they pretty much go along the same route. Although that said, there's a light novel series called Goblin Slayer, which is a pretty good series. I really like it, but. One of the things in it is that, of course, it focuses very heavily on goblins and how there's sort of like this parasite to the human race. The thing about goblins is that goblins cannot create anything, including themselves. The only way that a goblin can procreate is it has to rape some other compatible race and impregnate the female with goblin children. So, of course, this... This component is in the light novel. Yeah. And the light novel does not get into it all that much. Like, you know what's going on, but yeah. it's not like 
graphic graphic. The manga is like, let's show the goblins tearing the girl's clothes off. Let's show the goblins mounting the girl. Like it's, yeah, like it's a lot more graphic. Like, in fact, I, I saw a couple panels of the manga before I read the light novel. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to want to read this, if this is what it's going to be like, but but I actually ended up really liking the light novel. Um, but as I said, it it's, yeah, so that component is there, but it's not anywhere near as graphically depicted in the light novel as it is in the manga. And there's going to be an anime of the series, and I can almost guarantee it's going to be like one of those black bar, fuzzed out, <laughs> like, all, you know. Yeah. Because I, I am almost positive that they will go with what, the manga has done yep so yeah i i think the thing is is that in the light novel because it's being told like it starts off right away with like these adventures being beset by goblins and the girls get attacked Mm -hmm. but it focuses on one girl in particular the light novel so you follow her as she's running away she hears the screams so she knows something horrible is happening but she doesn't see it and that's why in the light novel you don't have it depicted Yep. But in the manga, because, of course, the manga can do whatever the manga wants, it doesn't worry about point-of-view character per se. It's like, oh, we can switch the point-of-view character on the next page or five pages from now. How long do we want to show girls being violated? Hey, let's figure <laughs> that out. And Yeah, I, I found the manga really kind of uncomfortable, but the light novel I liked. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the other thing, I guess, about the light novel is just because... I mean, it's never, you can never say it's a good thing, but uh, because it was part of the world building aspect, like it wasn't like that just came out of nowhere and it was like the author was like, I'm going to make this a rape fantasy, you know, like, (laughs) like because that didn't come out of nowhere, because that was an aspect of the world for the entirety of it, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel as unsettling. And like I said, because the point of view characters kind of move away, so you don't actually see quote unquote anything yeah it wasn't as bad i mean it's not comfortable obviously but but yeah the manga definitely way way more graphic and i'm pretty much putting money that the the anime is going to do the same thing it'll be heavily censored and then it'll come out in like an uncensored version on blu-ray buy the blu-ray so you can see all the horrible things done to women because japan (laughs) tentacles monsters yeah anyway that's its own episode that's a whole other yeah (laughs) yeah out of curiosity really really quick before we move away from uh, goblin slayers (laughs) is is the is a light novel in the first person or third person perspective it's third person perspective okay yeah it works a lot better on the third person perspective uh because the main character uh the actual goblin slayer Mm -hmm. most of it is told with him as sort of the well the point of view sort of shifts between characters that kind of form a party with him okay but he survived a goblin attack on his village but watched like his sister being brutalized and killed and everything else and the whole shtick is that while other adventurers try and earn fame and glory by killing high level monsters and taking these really glorious kind of challenges Mm -hmm. all he does is kill goblins because to him goblins are the true parasite that makes the average person suffer. Yeah. And because he just wants to kill them out of his own thirst for vengeance after what he witnessed. Yeah. So the whole thing is like him 
going after goblins and he's a very stunted personality like he he's not very overly emotional he's basically become so one-minded about this mission that he has trouble relating to other people but at the same time he's brilliant at what he does so everybody can rely on him right yeah you know when it comes down to it but it's kind of it's like an inside joke as you go along right because people will ask him along on a mission and he'll look at them and go are there goblins yeah and they'll be and they'll be like well no and he'll be like not interested and walk away right <laughs> and they're like but it pays so much money and he's like goblins just if it's not ah. goblins so then you have characters who start to try and trick him oh i'm sure there'll be goblins oh, okay <laughs> then i'll come along <laughs> you seek revenge um, dig two graves yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's that's goblin slayer but yes you yeah you do have instances where yeah the visual can be a lot more graphic than the the written mm-hmm. which you know it's not to say that the written can't be but i find the written you know what like yeah. i find if anything it's more the itchy kind of not like the violence aspect per se but i find it's more like the naughty bits that sometimes when you you know what like i don't know how to say this but like, you know when you read something and it goes into your head and you're imagining it you're like mm-hmm. wow yeah. that's really naughty then you yeah. kind of <laughs> see it in the anime and you're like yeah it's naughty <laughs> but i mean you're like clearly my imagination is a lot dirtier than what the (laughs) animators was i don't know but (laughs) we touched on it a little bit earlier in the show the existence of fan translations and fan translators i was just wondering now that there are companies that are doing official fan translations in a sense are people within the community who are still like holdouts for these unlicensed fan translations do they have or do you know if they have kind of a sense about them that they're the real light novel fans or the hardcores yeah you do definitely see that there's a lot of argument in the community about whether the official translation is as good as the Mm -hmm. fan translation like you see that argument a lot a lot of that oddly enough has to do with honorifics <laughs> like a lot of the official translated series sometimes will include honorifics but not always okay and one of the translators uh i was reading some articles that he was writing on and he said that's because in japanese the honorific must be there but in mm-hmm. english because their relationship is already obvious based on what's happening it makes more sense not to have the honorific because it's English Mm -hmm. in Japan. That honorific is like a cultural thing that's included. Right. Yeah. Where, you know, like we might say Mr. Or miss or whatever. Right. The whole thing with like Mm -hmm. Chan San, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. A lot of the official translations don't go crazy keeping the honorifics in the translation. And as I said, it doesn't bother me because their relationship is obvious. Mm-hmm. And as a Western reader, I intuit the relationship based on the power structure that exists. Mm-hmm. So I don't care personally, but that is like a rampant argument that you have a lot in the yeah. community about whether honorifics should be kept 100% intact or whether they're only necessary when... The relationship is maybe a little ambiguous 
or if it is merely like instead of me calling you by name i'm calling you senpai or whatever like in that case you would keep it as senpai but even then do you translate it as teacher do you translate it as upperclassman or <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah like there's those arguments as well right i think a lot of what we're seeing in official translations is is that words that they know the community will understand they leave intact so the word like senpai it will be left as senpai and some of these books now will even have like an appendices at the back that'll <laughs> tell you what the japanese terminology meant there's this one series called my youth romantic comedy is wrong as i expected uh i think <laughs> well the anime was i think uh my teenage romantic snafu i think is what they released the anime as but anyway it's the main character it's told in first person and the main character does nothing but spew like all sorts of pop cultural references literary references like you just almost everything he says is a comparison to something and they have like eight pages at the back explaining where all of these tv wow. shows were what this novel was who this literary figure is that he's making reference <laughs> to because it's just it's too much to keep hold of but anyway yes there is definitely that sense that you have people that hold out and are kind of like well i support the fan translations because they're truer to the source yeah and I mean, sometimes I'm of the mind that I almost feel like that's a thinly veiled way of a person trying to justify their continued piracy of something. Mm. You know, why would I pay money for an inferior product? Mm -hmm. Right. But again, I don't read the native language, so I'm not even one to judge whether the fan translation or the actual translation are better. I just yeah. know that when I read an actual translation, 9.8 times out of 10, it actually has decent grammar that I can understand. Mm -hmm. And they at least name the characters the same thing throughout pretty much the entirety of the book. <laughs> Isn't that nice? And you don't always see that with fan translations. In fact, some fan translations, what they do is they run it through Google Translate, and then they just try to clean it up a little bit so it kind of oh. makes sense. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's painful. I feel bad for localizers because there's this, uh, what is Tomato Moto that has a blog, Legends of yeah. Localization. And um, yeah. he went through and went through an early fan translation of Final Fantasy IV and then ran it through Google. And it's just like, it's bad. Like, automated <laughs> translations are not good. Oh. And localizers <laughs> can never win because it's like <laughs> keeping the honorifics. Do you take uh, cultural references and make them relevant or do you try to preserve them? It's like, it's it's not a winning situation. No, like, it's really, that is it, exactly. It's really difficult, especially, like I said, uh, the series Monogatari. One of the things that Nishio Ishin, the author, is most known for is doing things like puns. So, in Japanese, of course, you can write a person's name, or any word for that matter, in 5, 10, 15 different ways, different permutations, depending on which characters you use. But the characters you use can change the implied meaning and so he's constantly doing these puns in the japanese text of saying a person's name a certain way or calling a person a certain thing or saying a phrase a certain way that as a japanese reader you realize it's a pun but the translators have had to try and make that work in english they mostly do like i don't really feel 
I sometimes read and I think to myself, this probably was a lot funnier in Japanese. <laughs> but I at least get it. Like, I at least understand. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I'd love to sit down with a translator and ask them, so just like how much of this did you have to rework so that <laughs> even if I didn't think it was that funny, I at least understood it? <laughs> <laughs> So you're right. It's a tough thing to do. You know, you've got certainly the the community's still pretty divided that way. You get a lot of that on Reddit. A lot of the Reddit users seem to be a lot more of the harder sort of it should be this way or that should be that way. Yeah. And again, that's mostly of the little bit I've seen. I don't really go into Reddit that much. It's yeah. kind of weird, murky waters to me. Maybe that's just because I'm old and don't understand i don't know but, but yeah you you definitely see that and and like i said earlier i i think that's because we haven't gotten to the point where as a fan of light novels you can count on anything like you can't count on your favorite series getting picked up and licensed you can't even if a series was incredible five years ago it'll probably never get licensed because it's five years out of the mass collective consciousness right Mm -hmm. like i said you know companies initially they looked at series what had a recent anime or what is going to get an anime and those were the series they went after now they're going after series of what are really popular now but they're still early so no one's fan translated it and there's a chance it'll get an anime in the next like six months to a year right yeah so even the mindset of the companies that are bringing these out in English is very different from a lot of longtime light novel fans where they're like, well, why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? And, you know, and it's when it boils down to it, it's money. I think really like in another couple of years, we'll probably just find that there's a fine. I think it'll find like a, a level ground where you'll have the people that are like the books that will never, ever come out in English officially. <laughs> I will read mm-hmm. and the ones that yeah. I really like and I want to support I'll buy the official edition because I can but I, I think we're still in that transition period because like I said like really three and a half four years to go from five titles to 120 plus titles coming out a year like that's pretty crazy increase in just that short amount of time so I think we're still really like I keep saying to people I'm like It'll be at least another four to five years before I think light novels are kind of in the same realm of consciousness of manga or anime. So, mm. yeah, it's it's still pretty early, but I think it'll level out. But yeah, it's definitely it's still all there. Yeah, makes sense. Speaking of, of the Reddit, I'm on our light novels and down the side, <laughs> they have a list of the upcoming license releases. Yeah. Are the titles like a thing? Like, are people trying to come up with, like, like Panic at the Disco-esque titles that are, like, super long and sort of summarize it, but in, like, a kind of a deadpan sort of way? Because mm. I've seen a lot of that. <laughs> like, I've been killing slimes for 300 years and maxed out my level? Yeah, that's one. You're naming all the things I've seen on Imgur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, some of the titles. That is one thing that we have asked, and I don't think we really have a satisfactory answer to yet at this point. I think in some ways it's become almost a game for light novel authors because there are like, what did they, what did I read? They said something like for every day, there are six light novels published in Japan. 
stats. Wow. Like, I think that was one of the stats that I read somewhere. Like, we're getting at least to the point where we have almost a light novel a day. Japan is at least three to four times that easily. So I think there's a lot more competition in shelf space to try and have something that sticks out. <laughs> and having reams and reams of kanji or whatever on a spine, people are like, the heck is that? And like, <laughs> I think because there's that competition for shelf space mm-hmm. that... If you look at a spine and you can basically, like you said, get an idea of what's the book about, you don't even have to pick that book up and read the back of the cover or whatever to see what it's about because it's right there in the title. And if that hooks you enough to pick it out of the shelf with all that competition, the author's won, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's part of what you're seeing with the whole titles, although... It seems like that's it's starting to shift now where the titles are starting to get a little bit shorter with the more recent stuff. But you're right, like it's gotten crazy. I've gotten to the point where I actually have to shorten when I'm typing in my YouTube titles on my videos. I've just got my favorites here that I'd like to... Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. For the benefit of the listener, we have me, a genius. I was reborn into another world and I think they've got the wrong idea. That's one. <laughs> I yep. saved too many girls and caused the apocalypse. Yep. Tells you ah. exactly what's going on. Uh, <laughs> didn't I say to make my abilities average in the next life? Yep. Although, you know what's funny about that one? That one is almost like a bit of a play because the whole idea is that the girl's this super overachiever in Japan and she dies saving the life of another girl. Mm-hmm. She meets God and God takes pity on her and says, I'm going to like reborn you into another world. And basically the girl's like, look, you know what? I don't want to be an overachiever. Like everybody looked at me and always expected so much of me because I was so capable. I just want to be average. So God's like, okay, fine. They're like, yeah, just make my abilities average. So off you go. Problem is what is average average to Mm. humans or average between humans and dragons? (laughs) I've never, I've never heard it phrased that way before, but now that you say it, (laughs) So, in other words, her average is the average of the entire world, not just average for an average person. So, like, if power level of humans is 1 and power levels of dragons is 10, she's a power level 5 because that's the average between the two. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Amazing. Yeah. You say it in D&D and I get what you're talking about instantly. <laughs> yeah. See? Yep. Exactly. When I put into PowerPoints, we all understand. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, so basically that's the gist there. That's the shtick is that, yeah, her abilities are average, but. <laughs> okay. Hold on. I found one that you might like, G. All right. I'm a high school boy and a best-selling light novel author strangled by my female classmate who is my junior and a voice actress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yep. And you know what? That one actually hasn't been officially licensed. That's just, um, yeah. yeah, but uh, supposedly that's the whole thing is that he is a light novelist and this girl is the voice actress in the series that's based on his light novels. And I guess at some point in the series, she strangles him. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, like hearing the title, I feel like I've read it already. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what? Like, I think that's part of the joke in a way is that you have these titles that tell you so much that it feels like it's told you everything and then you read the book and you think to yourself wow like it doesn't really tell you everything like or or it kind of tricks you into expecting one thing but then getting another like 
the whole thing, uh, you know, I've been killing slimes for 300 years and maxed out my level. It's about a 27-year-old, like I was saying, like older characters, who is an, an office worker. And she literally works herself to death. She has a massive coronary because she's eating crappy food because she's always on the run. She doesn't sleep enough. All she does is work, 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 and she dies. And so, again, benevolent God decides to take pity on her and says, your life was crappy. What do you want to do in the next life? And she says to them, I want to be immortal so I never, ever have to worry about time. Mm. So they plunk her down into this little village and she's an immortal witch. And there's slimes and she just kills them for ingredients and for little magic stones they drop that she can sell for money. And she just lives by this little village for 300 years and sort of becomes their benefactor and has all these healing potions that she sells to them and stuff. And then eventually one day it gets wind that they check her level. And because she's been doing all this for 300 years, she's the strongest thing alive in the world. (laughs) So people start knocking on her door, trying to challenge her to battles because they want to fight her because she's supposedly so strong. But the whole gist of the book is that because she worked so hard, she just wants to lay back and chill. So she Mm. like keeps trying to look at ways to try and get out of all these situations so that she can just relax and take it easy. (laughs) And you know what? It was one of those books. I I didn't know how it was going to go, but man, it was such like a chill, warm blanket of like a book. I just felt all warm and fuzzy after reading it. I was like, I love this book, (laughs) but you know, like, yeah, I, I think that that's what you're seeing with the titles is that it's either long to try and make you really curious about just what the heck is it, or it's telling you enough of the setup that just perusing the spines of books, you're going to get an idea of whether it's a book you're interested in. Hmm. Cause like I said, I mean, if you look at bookstores in Japan, like just reams and reams and reams and reams of books. So, I mean, you need something to kind of, make it so that you're enticing customer actually to reach in and pick that book out. Right. So, but like I said, I think they're starting to back away from it because it, it got to the point where I think I'm trying to think, I think it worked out like the longest one was like 25 words long when it was translated (laughs) into English. Like, like, yeah, it was, I can't remember how many characters, like it was something like 40 or 50 Japanese characters. Like it was, yeah, like it was crazy. So yeah, they've started to back off a bit, but, but yeah, that's, I think, what you see with the titles. That's why that kind of came along. And now you're all looking, what other crazy titles no, should I find? That's that's a very dangerous uh, <laughs> rabbit hole to go down. I was wondering if it's time oh, yeah. to move on to The Verdict. I'd, I'd say that it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so The Verdict is just a little chance to summarize any thoughts that we have about today's topic. All right. I will go first because that gives other people the opportunity to uh, think of some things to say. Because I am, again, vanilla protagonist in this. <laughs> there you go. In this, uh, I tried to write a successful podcast, but then it didn't turn out how I thought it would. Yes. It's there we totally go. a light novel. <laughs> Guys, I know what we're doing next. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was, after doing the research about uh, light novel fandom, I had a bit of a hard time and I'm still having a bit of a, a hard time. It's not that it doesn't sound like light novels are enjoyable. It sounds like they're really neat. And it sounds like the kind of literature that I would probably actually read as opposed to a stack full of books 
that I have on my shelf that I might get to eventually, but probably won't. Again, another name of a light novel right there. Mm-hmm. Uh. I have a hard time seeing it as a distinctive fandom, but Justice, when you said that it's kind of like it's more of a, a mixed fandom where you have people who are fans of manga and anime and light novels, not solely light novels, it kind of started to click for me. So I, I'm definitely more interested, especially after hearing some of the titles and after hearing you describe some of the more popular light novels right now. But I'm not, I'm not like super into it. So I'm on the fence still, but more interested than when I started doing the research. Fair enough. All right. I'm going to jump in here. First of all, Kazakhstani. Okay. Excellent. Oh, okay. It is Kazakhstani. Okay. okay. Anyway. So the thing I've always had is if I hear about any sort of property anime manga, light novel property or whatever, I'm like, is there an anime? Because that's how I want to take it in. But... You know, I've heard a lot, you know, oh, the anime doesn't really get into it. Spiral is a great example. The anime is not <laughs> always the best version of the thing, even though it's the way I like them the best. And for some weird reason, I don't like manga that much. I can't get into it. Like, I like Western comics a lot, but for some reason, manga manga just, like, doesn't, doesn't grab me the same way that an anime would or a Western comic would. And so maybe light novels are kind of like the antidote to this because i feel very distracted when i'm reading a manga i feel like my eyes being pulled in tons of different directions but with a novel i'm reading just reading about characters and stuff i feel like maybe that was a way to kind of like experience it on a better level than if i was reading the manga and maybe that will be better at supplanting my my want to watch uh, watch it in anime form so i'm going to say that um i'm always going to try it out uh, i'll probably order reborn as a vending machine like like as soon as we're finished this podcast <laughs> but yeah i'm I'm definitely like it's it's nothing not something i've ever tried before but i uh, am definitely going to cool i i it seems we've set up this sort of I, I not a hierarchy but certainly three different sort of categories of japanese media in a sense you got your anime your manga your light novels I think that light novels are probably the one that I, I would gravitate towards the most in terms of like new series. But following Attack on Titan for a long time as a manga, a little bit as an anime. But to get into something new like that help him a vending machine or <laughs> or um I guess anything with a with a long title that's very descriptive and eye catching could be interesting. I will say, uh I was kinda of going back to a theme from the beginning of the show. Super surprised to find out Kino's Journey started out as a light novel. Ah, yeah, I forgot to mention that. (laughs) Also surprised to learn that I was reading a light novel series and didn't even know it. What? In 12 Kingdoms. Yeah. You know, if I had to say I'm in or out, I would say I am out because it's going to be more of a casual kind of like, this looks pretty cool. I'm going to check it out kind of a thing. Then launching myself into, into a shelf full of light novels. And just trying to read them all. Well, and you know what? I think that you are kind of the fan that my whole YouTube channel was aimed at. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, because <laughs> like that's sort of my mission statement on the channel was to read and review as many volume ones as possible. Mm-hmm. So that a person could come to the channel and look at all of those just number ones and see whatever titles entice them. And yeah. get an idea of what it's about. What are the themes? Is it any good? 
That's why all my reviews are spoiler free. I mean, no more spoilers than what you get reading the back of the cover, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, really, like I, I think there's only about maybe eight series that I read on an ongoing basis. And other than that, all I read is number ones and review mm-hmm. them so that that's out there because yeah, I recognize that, you know, not everybody's going to be like, oh, I'm going to read nothing but light novels for the rest of my existence, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. and not every light novel title is going to be interesting to someone the same way that like not every anime is interesting. Not every manga is interesting. Yeah. But I think you're right, though, is that anime is so much easier to consume, especially now with like Crunchyroll and High Dive and all these that. I mean, like, really, it, I could watch a whole season of an anime in the same amount of time it would take me to read one book, <laughs> like, depending on the novel, right? Mm-hmm. And you've consumed five books in that, you know, five and a half hours, and I consumed one book. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's frustrating. and I, But I have, a, I have a rule that I don't watch an anime until I've caught up in the books, because hmm. I can't get into a book if, if I've seen the anime don't know why it's just a thing my imagination it just doesn't i just find my imagination gets run over by the anime and i can't get invested in the book yeah you kind of know where it's going so you maybe don't feel as compelled well and it's not like i'm trying to imagine what things look like because i already know what Mm -hmm. they look like because i saw it yeah i think for me you know i got into these initially just out of curiosity and got into them because one of the early series that Yen On picked up was Excel World. And I liked that anime and wanted to know how it ended because the anime, of course, never ended. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Didn't tell the story. And that's just what got me into this whole thing is that. And and just at this point now, like, I just, I really love them and I just want to help people. If it's a title that you like, to find it. And if there's a couple titles you like, fantastic. If <laughs> You find nothing? Well, you know, I tried at least. (laughs) (laughs) I gave it the old college try, you know, like, uh, yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it's a growing, it's a growing segment. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, saying to yourself, you know what? I'm not going to read nothing but light novels, but the odd one might look cool. Yeah. And if you like Attack on Titan, I really do recommend, like, if you really like Attack on Titan, I do recommend the series Before the Fall, the light novels. They are actually fairly decent, and they are a prequel series, which is kind of interesting. So gives you the whole thing about how the maneuvering gear was created. Oh, cool. Yeah. Apart from going to youtube.com slash justicerstone, where would you recommend Perspective Light Reader listeners begin? Well, there's a couple of different things. Uh, obviously, yes, youtube.com slash user slash just stone. <laughs> but actually, there's another website that uh, I actually contribute to as well. And while well, I contribute to it now, initially when I was starting, it was out there and it was a fantastic website resource. It's called EnglishLightNovels.com, run by a lady by the name of Cho. And uh, it, it's got a lot of different information. Uh, she does have some reviews. But one of the things that she does is she has a listing of basically every light novel available officially in English. And then she has links to reviews of the different volumes from each of those series. She gives you a synopsis of what each of the series is like. 
you know, she has all of the release dates always kept up to date on there. Like, it's just a really good information resource. And uh, she does a bunch of different reviews. Uh, now what she's doing is uh, just to try and expand the channel a bit. She's actually got a couple of contributors. As I said, I'm one of them now. Right now we're doing a summer reading program where we're reading a light novel every two weeks. And they're all volume ones or standalone volumes. And we're doing like a text chat that's full on spoilers talk about it. And then we open up the comments for the posts so that other people can read along with the book and post their thoughts and interact and everything else. So EnglishLightNovels.com, it's a fantastic resource, especially if you are really interested in the officially licensed light novels. Like I said, it was a, a great resource for me when I was starting out. Obviously, yes, there is the Reddit uh, R light novels. You know, if you're really into Reddit and comfortable with Reddit, there's lots of good information there. But again, like, I think you have to have that kind of mind that's able to sort through it all. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it, it's a little hard for me to get into, but I mean, that's just, just me. In terms of uh, other light novels, there is the lightnoveldatabase.org, which is just lndb.org. And again, it's just a mass listing of light novels. It's not... But it is like all light novels, Japanese, English, like it gives you all sorts of stuff. And then there's one last one, which is NovelUpdates.com. And it's the same idea. It's a massive database that gives you um, information about all light novels, whether they are available in English or just Japanese only. They do have links to fan translations for ones that have not been picked up, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> I'd say that for English readers, those are sort of the main websites that you can go to for information. Of course, there is j-novel.club, which is J-Novel's website. You can go to yenpress.com and then click on the Yen On tab for them and see all of their releases. Those are the two really big players for light novels officially in English. So, uh, so yes, those would be the main light novel resources. And then, of course, uh, we are also doing a light novel podcast. We've just got it started. I think we're just about to record our fifth episode, which is going to focus on a series called Infinite Dendrogram. And uh, that you can find at lightnovelpodcast.com, funny enough. I love going for the obvious stuff. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> .com, lightnovelpodcast.com, yeah. <laughs> Very easy to remember. Yeah. You're Justice Arstone all over the internet? All over the internet. So Twitter at Justice Arstone, Instagram, Justice Arstone, YouTube, Justice Arstone, Tumblr, Justice Arstone, Facebook, Justice Arstone. Yeah, like you get the gist. You got it locked down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say I'm far more active on Twitter in terms of talking to people like back and forth and stuff and actually conversing i'm far more active on that and of course on youtube mm. but you know you can still find me on all the other ones and chat with me and follow me and slowly but surely i'm starting to do a little bit more with some of the other ones but uh yeah twitter's definitely the best place if you just want to sort of say hello and pick my brain about something cool do you have a, a spotlight for this episode i do I feel like uh, Justice gave us quite a few different things to take a look at, but uh, I do have something to mention, which I will 
front load width, it is a bit contentious. I will read this quote from Kotaku, uh, an article called Light Novel Fan Translators Build a Centralized Community on the Web. Hey, it turns out you can turn anything into a light novel if you just uh, (laughs) summarize it. No, I'm kidding. Oh Started back in 2006 to spread the word about the Haruhi Suzumiya light novels, the site, uh, bakatsuki.org, which you can mm-hmm. find at b-a-k-a-t-s-u-k-i.org, now acts as the go-to place for fan-translated light novels. The main site uses a wiki layout and acts as a hub for many light novel projects. Despite the dubious legality of this activity, it is nonetheless truly interesting to see how most of these translators have all come together in one place to ensure the light novels they love are translated as efficiently as possible. I would couch that by saying, obviously, if you like a series and it's released, go and support the release. Otherwise, (laughs) you'll never see the things that you love really get out there. But I thought it was interesting because even though it's fan translated and of dubious legality, it is an interesting, like, labor of love that people do. And I'm sure there are many series that may never be translated that people are translating out there. Yep, absolutely. And the thing that I would also like just to put out there... Just for the sake of, again, supporting the work, it's not even just that you are supporting the English companies to bring these works over. These companies do have to pay royalties to the author. So you are paying the author if you buy the official English book as well. Because I know that was one of the things I saw recently. It was about anime, about how I want to support the studio or I want to support the director. There was sort of an argument I saw. I think Digibro started that on YouTube. But anyway, in this case, if you buy the official work, you are supporting the author. So I'd like to put that out because I don't think people always realize that because it's a, a licensed work. I don't know if they always realize that they're not just putting money in the pocket of Yen On. You're also paying the author for that work as well. That's important. But yes, you're right. Uh, Bakatsuki is like definitely the go-to for fan translation community. It, it has been for, well, like you said, forever, basically. It's been the site to go to. Um, there's also one, uh, I can't remember what the actual URL is, but if you look up Baka Updates, B-A-K-A, and then Updates. Oh my goodness. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. Well, it was like, actually, it was its own website, but then I think they took over... Another website, I think it's like mangaupdates.com or something like that. Yes. They took over yeah. the moniker of Baka and they list a lot of light novels and they'll list if there's any fan translation projects or if it's licensed, they'll also link out to the official licensor as well that you can check out as well. So that is another one as well. But like I said, the other ones I mentioned first, I think are a good resource. So. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're right. Now, dubious legalities all over, like light novel, anime, manga <laughs> fandom. Like it's so gray, so gray. <laughs> the next generation of fans is going to be totally versed in copyright law. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and absolutely every way that they can subvert it. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. What? What? What did I say? <laughs> so. If you're out there, if you're listening, if you have a fandom that you would like to hear us cover on this podcast, if you have a story about a fandom that we've covered, if you have a correction to send in, we love getting corrections, or if you just want to say hi, you can do that, nick at thenextcast.com for all of you emailers out there. I feel like some people don't email, 
but uh, <laughs> but if you do, Nick at thenickscast.com is the best way for us to get it. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, at the Nickscast. This podcast is Fanthropological, but the three of us are the Nickscast, and we can be found everywhere on the internet if you just want to say hi on twitter shoot us at the next cast and if you want to see us having a fun time at some of the cons we've been going to or heads up for when we go live next check that out on instagram and in the, the podcatcher of your choice that you're listening to please do take the time to uh, rate and review and maybe even subscribe to our podcast and let people know what we are doing over here at Fantapological. and i'm going to throw it over to t Yes, so G is throwing it over to me because um, <laughs> it is the summer, and as it is the summer, that means it's time for the Race Against Time, uh, which is our annual charity marathon where we play through the greatest game of all time, Chrono Trigger, and raise money for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Why do we do that? Well, because Alzheimer's is a terrible, terrible illness, and much like in Chrono Trigger, where they're trying to save a future that you may never encounter, uh, we are trying to save a future that maybe we won't encounter, but maybe we will. Uh, it's unclear. And Alzheimer's, like being a terrible illness, we, we decided that was the one to tackle. If you want to know about that, you can check out some of the things that G had already mentioned. We'll post when we're going live for that. But if you want to know where we are going live, it is twitch.tv slash time or uh, raceagainsttime.io. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can donate right now, raceagainsttime.io slash donate. And all the proceeds go directly to the Alzheimer's Society of Canada doesn't go to us at all go straight to them we just use that site so that we can keep track of how well we are doing relative to last year mm-hmm. and speaking of streaming you can also check out this stream if you happen to be watching you know you're already doing it great please keep that up if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast however you will want to uh, check out twitch.tv slash the next cast on a fairly weekly basis you want to watch that twitter at the next cast to find out exactly when we're streaming here on twitch.tv slash the next cast. But, but if you do that, you can watch us record these episodes live. Enjoy uh, looking at our beautiful expressions the entire time. Enjoy checking out our, our lovely guests. And, you know, you can just come and, and have a little chat in chat room. Uh, maybe chat about the topic chat about uh, yogurt containers perhaps <laughs> or you could even try to throw your hat into the ring the podcast ring and contribute to the famous last words oh we made it we made it there everybody it's a part of every show where i stop becoming a host and i just become a fan <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness Uh, that's right. It's the famous last words. Like mentioned earlier, it's the chance to ask a question, make a statement for next week's topic before we do any of the research for the topic. Next week, we will be covering, I'm going to say, a very esoteric fandom, very specific fandom, mm-hmm. because we're going to be talking about fans of Galaga, which is a classic gaming, I want to say arcade game, but earlier at the top yep. of the episode or before we started recording, Justice was mentioning that it's an Atari game, so I don't know how far back it goes. But that is what we are covering. We have a special <laughs> guest, Michael Kimball. He wrote the Boss Fight books book on Galaga. Yep, that's right. 
Yep. So that's going to be very interesting because I have absolutely no clue <laughs> what that fandom is going to look like. We usually cover things that are semi-broad, and this is going to be very specific. Mm-hmm. But everybody now has an opportunity to ask their famous last words or just say their famous last words. I'm going to jump in right here because I... Oh, wow. Okay. I think I got a good one. Is there an aspect to Galaga fandom that is non-competitive? Ooh. Okay. Like I can, I can definitely see there being a following for people who are competitive at it, but otherwise, not so much. I'm pretty wrong, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if there's if there's a, like a distinct non-competitive part to being a fan of Gal. Okay, I have some words. How does the community stay together given how small it is? I presume it's small. I could also be wrong about that, but like a big part of any fandom is that community, even if it's just hey, I really like this thing. Let's talk about this. So I want to know how the community stays together given that Galaga has been around for a really long time and I presume the fandom is really small. How do they do it? How's that thing that they did? All right. I will come clean right now and say that my famous last words are slightly tainted by informal research. I have read Michael's book on Galaga. That's how he became known to me and that's how the, the possibility of a fandom around Galaga also became known to me, which is why we're doing it on the show. However, one aspect that was not really directly covered in the book was fan fiction. Is there any Galaga fan fiction? Oh, that is both really interesting and very easy to answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will stipulate specifically written fan fiction. She does cover a bit that's other fan fiction in the book okay okay sure all right justice what have you got for us what are you going to make our lives a living heck Ah. next week no i'm kidding you know what i want to know given the age of galaga and the fact that there have not been that many remakes of galaga over the years (laughs) why galaga <laughs> I mean, well, I you know what? I'll, I'll expand a little. It's basically, I guess, what it is is that what is it about that game that, given that it hasn't continually been shoved into the fandom sphere or into new systems and everything else, what is it about the game that lends itself to the longevity of the fandom, and why are people still so engaged with it, given the amount of time that's gone by without any sort of new aspects of that like being on new systems or whatever interest because i i'm pretty sure there was some like update to galaga at some point but there were some sequels i still think that was way long time ago like yeah i still want to say that was at least 15 to 20 years ago that there was a new galaga yeah i cannot imagine there's been a galaga since the inception of playstation i think they might have tried to bring it into 3d but i don't know if that was like on a on an arcade system like before any home consoles went 3d or yeah i don't know but i mean we'll find that out i'm curious i'm gonna look it up because i'm gonna you know (laughs) i I might just tune in next week to check that out but uh i'm just too curious to (laughs) not check it out right now because you know yeah that's just what i'm gonna do but i won't spoil anything so that's okay perfect continue on on. i'm definitely not staring at the wikipedia page for galaga Ah, none of us are (laughs) 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 that aside that is 
pretty much it for this episode. Justice, um, is there anything that we missed about the things that you do that you want to mention now before we go? <laughs> I was going to mention, and I'm surprised I didn't get the chance to bring this up, that you have reviewed on your YouTube channel in the last three years over 200 light novels. Wow. I thought I could work that into the episode so easily, <laughs> but oh, there was not an in. Putting it here. <laughs> it's right here. Well, yeah, I've, I've reviewed a bunch. Is there anything else that I want to put into that? Uh, no, you know what? I guess the only thing that I haven't done any shameless plugging on is uh, I do have a book series called The Bleeding Worlds, which is a four novel series. It's a superpowered apocalyptic series about a world where the gods are real and are quickly approaching the end times foretold as Ragnarok. And uh, the series, the fourth and final book, just came out at the end of May. And now I'm working on something new, so Ooh. check it out. And uh, even more shameless plugging, if you go to my website and <laughs> sign up for my mailing list, you can get the first book as an ebook for free. So, Oh, dang. Oh. And I swear I do not spam. In fact, people who have been on my mailing list will attest to the fact they've heard from me maybe twice in the past three years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very low commitment mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> awesome so yeah so there you go <laughs> awesome well thank you very much again justice for joining us on the show today oh it was great thank you so much for having me i had a good time awesome all right well this is nick g saying until next time we'll see you next time goodbye everybody <laughs> goodbye <Bye-bye. laughs>